0: A Gift of True Esteem by Aplodil Chapter 5 I've got to give you the lecture, Harry said apologetically. He and Draco had just gone into his office, straight after breakfast on the second morning of the holidays. I reckon the problem isn't that you don't know the incantation, because you said you've managed the mist, so a bit of foundation ought to help. I love a good lecture, Draco said taking a seat on the sofa and getting out the little pad that Harry recognized from his first day back in the castle? By all means. Right, okay, so... Harry leaned back against his desk, feeling a little self-conscious. The Patronus charm is one of the most ancient pieces of magic still in common use. You can actually track surges of its use through history. It's associated with troubled times, obviously. At the moment, we have an unusually high number of people trained in its use. Some of that is down to Dumbledore, actually. Because of the talking Patronus messages you saw Hagrid use yesterday. That was a favoured method of communication used by the Order of the Phoenix. Harry paused to let Draco catch up on his note-taking, picking up the thread again when Draco raised his head and resumed eye contact. There's been this idea in the past that a Patronus can only be cast by someone pure of heart, which I think is kind of silly. What does pure of heart even mean? The reality is that because it takes so much magic, it requires an equally incredible amount of focus and clarity of purpose. I find it helps in casting to understand what exactly a Patronus is. It's a physical manifestation of hope and joy, Draco interrupted quietly. Exactly. I'd add to that, it's a physical manifestation of your survival instinct also. And since a Dementor is a sort of personification of despair, a Patronus can drive it away. The incantation actually translates to, I summon my protector. Poetic, Draco said, scribbling in his pad. Yes, well, it works. So the most common way to summon a Patronus is to fix a powerfully positive, joyful memory in your mind, focus on it with all your might, and then cast. Generally, I have my classes practice focusing on the memory before trying to cast the spell. All right, Draco didn't move. You should put away your notebook, Harry advised, raising his wand. Knox. The torches in the wall brackets extinguished themselves, and they were plunged immediately into a much deeper darkness than Harry had been expecting. The curtains were drawn, and it was rather dark outside anyway, as it was snowing. Potter, came Draco's voice, bemused from the sofa. Are these theatrics strictly necessary? Shush, you're meant to be focusing. Fine. For how long? That's up to you. When you're ready to try casting, try casting. Draco fell silent then. Harry tried to keep as still and quiet as possible. The only sound in the room was Happy's slightly whistly breathing from her bed. Presently, there was a shifting as Draco rose from the sofa. Expecto Patronum. The room was illuminated by the silver cloud that burst from his wand. It hung moon-bright between them for a moment, then faded away into nothingness. Draco inhaled, loudly and steadily, and cast again. Expecto Patronum. This time, the thing that exploded from his wand was a distinctly animal shape. Four-legged, hairy, huge and dazzling in the dark office. It vanished too quickly to make out what it was, and Draco promptly dropped his wand. Did you see it? Of course I saw. Harry was so excited he could have hugged Draco. I wasn't expecting you to get it so fast. One would think you'd have learned not to underestimate me by this time, Potter. And Harry could picture exactly the whisk of his hair that accompanied that remark. I told you I've cast the incorporeal form before. I'll bet I have it perfect next time. But Draco tried twice more, and produced only silver mist, even more indistinct than his first attempt. Harry heard him throw himself back onto the sofa with a huff. Got to focus. Give me a moment. The silence that followed lasted far longer than the first time. It set Harry wondering what happy memory Draco was honing in on. His desire to ask grew stronger as he waited in the dark, though he knew it would be abominably intrusive, and he didn't dare break Draco's concentration. Harry was thinking so hard about what Draco might be thinking that he didn't even notice him get to his feet, and the bellowed incantation took him quite by surprise. Expecto Patronum. This time, the enormous shape that sprang forth was perfectly clear, a shining, silver-white lion, so dazzling and so huge that it obscured Draco from him completely. It opened its jaws in a silent roar, then faded away, leaving them in darkness again. Harry felt hot all over, his skin too tight. He thought of Snape's silver dough, Tonks's wolf. His mouth went dry, and he fumbled for a seat more secure than the edge of his desk. After a moment, he raised his wand. Lumos. The torches flickered into light. Draco was still staring in wonder at the place where his lion had vanished. It was so beautiful, Draco said quietly. I didn't know it would... I wasn't expecting that. Harry found his voice. There's nothing like seeing it for the first time. That bit of you that you've never laid eyes on before. Right in front of your face. Yes, Draco said reverently. Then, hesitant. Show me yours. Harry stood and raised his wand. Expecto Patronum. And the stag came at his call, as he knew it would. Quickly and easily, as a devoted old friend. With the torches lit, the stag did not appear as dazzlingly as the lion, though it was just as huge. It stepped delicately right up to Draco and lingered, nose to nose with him for just a moment before it disappeared. I wish he could be with me all the time, Draco said softly, almost to himself. My lion. Well, Harry said, he is, isn't he? A slow smile spread over Draco's face. I suppose you're right. Harry couldn't sleep that night. He tossed in his bed, till Happy crept in to wake him, clearly fearing he was in the grips of a nightmare. He hugged her to his chest, but even her comforting warmth didn't bring him any closer to sleep. When it was closer to dawn than midnight, Harry kicked off the blankets, put on his glasses, and got out of bed. He made straight for the headmistress's office. Professor McGonagall was absent from the school on a visit to her cousin, and he knew he would not be interrupted and would disturb no one. The office opened easily for him. It knew him. The circular room with its dozing portraits had changed very much since Professor McGonagall had become headmistress. The delicate, magical silver instruments had been put away. The perch that had housed Fox the Phoenix was gone. Harry himself was in possession of the pensive that had once belonged to Dumbledore. The room was lined with shelves of books, giving it an air of no-nonsense intellectuality. But the portraits remained, and it was with the portraits that Harry's business that night was concerned. Harry sat down in the visitor's chair, opposite the desk, and raised his wand to light the lamps. Lumos Maxima. The lights went up. All around him, the portraits were snoozing in their frames on the walls. All except for Dumbledore's. The painted Dumbledore gazed down at Harry over his half-moon spectacles, his fingers steepled, his attitude so familiar that it gave Harry a pain in his throat. "'Good evening, Harry,' Dumbledore said quietly. "'I think there must be something troubling you tonight, to cause you to pay such a very late visit.' Harry swallowed, his eyes on his lap. He always felt a little discomposed when speaking to Dumbledore's portrait. "'Well, yeah,' But I'm actually not here to speak to you, Professor Dumbledore. Dumbledore raised his eyebrows. No? Harry fixed his gaze on the portrait to Dumbledore's left, who, like all the others, was in a deep sleep. He was slumped against his frame, the curtains of black hair tumbled over his face, obscuring it. I'm here to speak to Snape. Dumbledore looked amused. Ah. Harry tried to suppress a flicker of irritation. Yeah. I may still be able to assist you, indirectly. Dumbledore leaned sideways through the frame of his painting, and gave Snape's shoulder a little tap. Severus? Severus, you have a visitor. Snape rotated without otherwise changing position, turning his back on the room. Dumbledore laughed outright. Oh, Severus, don't be such a baby. Harry is here to consult with you, and it is your duty to... As Potter is not, and never has been, headmaster of Hogwarts, I think you will find, Dumbledore, that whatever responsibilities I may have had toward him have been completely discharged. Snape interrupted, harshly. Don't be so ingracious, Severus. Dumbledore stepped into Snape's portrait completely, and gave him a little shake by one shoulder, still with an edge of humour in his voice. It won't hurt you to see what he wants. "'Snape shook Dumbledore off, furiously. "'You're one to lecture me about proper behaviour toward Harry Potter.' "'Dumbledore pushed his half-moon spectacles back up his long nose. "'I may have been a little ruthless, but I like to think I was never rude. "'Leave him alone, all right?' Harry burst in. "'He hates me, and he's always hated me. "'I don't know why either of us ever thought he might help me with anything.' I spent seven godforsaken years helping you, Snape snarled, and you remain as ungrateful as you were when you were a snotty little schoolboy. Harry had a rather pronged response to that remark. The first was incredulous laughter. The second was to marvel at how furious it would have made him when he was younger. Albus is right. You are a fucking baby. I don't think I put it in precisely those terms, murmured Dumbledore retreating to his own frame to seat himself and look coolly venerable again. I would like to reiterate that I am at your service, Harry. Yours and Hogwarts, as ever. Well, it isn't really anything to do with Hogwarts, Harry admitted. It's personal. It's quite personal. Um, he sighed through his nose. I was working with someone on the Patronus charm. Not a student, obviously, a member of staff. They'd never been able to conjure a corporeal Patronus, but they were interested in the talking Patronuses because they saw Hagrid's. Hagrid's Patronus does you credit, Dumbledore said. I'm sorry to say that I would not have thought him capable of producing one when I taught him myself. Right, Harry pushed on. So I was helping my friend with their Patronus charm, and it was a lion. Uh, And... Harry could feel his face heating and he hoped it didn't show in his expression. "'It made me think of, um, of Professor Snape's doe Patronus.' Harry trailed off, hoping his conclusions were clear enough without finishing the thought. Dumbledore seemed to consider that for a time. "'How very interesting. Your friend's Patronus was an unexpected reflection on the nature of your relationship, I take it. How did they respond to the revelation?' "'I don't think he saw it for what it was,' Harry said glumly, scrubbing absently at his curls with one hand. "'He just said it was beautiful.' "'I'm sure it was,' said Dumbledore gently. "'And it made you think of Professor Snape's Patronus because—' "'Forgive me, Severus. "'You see these feelings as—' "'Unwelcome? "'One-sided?' "'Snape gave a loud false snore to demonstrate his utter disinterest in the proceedings.' but Harry still thought it was rather hard on him to have his deepest secret bandied about so casually. No, Harry said slowly. I mean, that's not... That isn't what I was getting at, really. Dumbledore steepled his fingers. I see. Then what, if I may be so blunt, is the problem? I suppose... I just wanted... I'm not out of my mind to think that, am I? Not imagining things. Oh, i rather think not, said Dumbledore cheerfully. The pattern is well established. A referential patronus evidences very, very powerful feelings indeed. Harry was beginning to feel too hot again. And it's definitely, definitely romantic. Ah, what is romance anyway? Harry frowned. "'Sir?' "'It's certainly not the only sort of love that makes the world go round, is it?' Dumbledore rather twinkled, and Harry felt irritable, like he was being made light of. "'On one hand, you yourself have a referential patronus. Your stag reflects your admiration of your late father.' "'There is that,' Harry felt a little lurch somewhere in his midsection, but he thought it might be of disappointment rather than relief. Dumbledore continued, as if Harry hadn't spoken. "'I dare say you know your friend better than I do. You would know his heart better than I would. There's no reason I should know how your friend feels better than you do. But then again, it wasn't me you came to consult with. It was Severus.' "'I didn't come to ask about this specific person's feelings,' Harry interrupted desperately. "'Just—just the phenomenon.' "'Ah, yes, the phenomenon.' We can certainly discuss the phenomenon very intellectually, very impersonally. Though, of course, you did begin by describing your friend's beautiful lion Patronus. Don't patronize me, Harry said, grumpily. You're not my headmaster any more. You're dead, and I'm thirty-five. Dumbledore's portrait laughed merrily. Indeed. You are kind to allow a dead man a few minutes of wheezing waffle, Harry. Harry stood. I should go back to bed. Often the wisest course of action in the middle of the night. Good night, Harry. Good night, Professor. Draco was very quick to get the hang of the charm that made his Patronus speak. It only took him an afternoon of practicing with Harry. Harry had the idea of going down to the Room of Requirement for more space. They might have sent their Patronuses back and forth to each other down on the Quidditch pitch, but it was sleety outside and Harry wasn't going to set foot out there, barring some dreadful emergency. Draco got very quiet when he realized where they were going, and he stood back against the opposite wall while Harry paced the corridor until the door to the room appeared. The room was almost larger than Harry had ever seen it when they stepped inside. Quite as long as the Great Hall, but empty. It's still here, Draco said, looking about him. I didn't think they'd be able to bring it back. It would have been the elves, I suppose. You said it was elf magic? Harry nodded. Exactly. They're the ones who mended it. They mended most of the seriously damaged bits, actually. They have a special affinity with the castle. I'm not entirely sure how it works. Elves tend to be very private about elf culture. Can't blame them, really. We made a right mess of things for them. We're lucky they still want to be here. But they do. Some elves even fled here after the war. If they had to leave wizards who were cruel or unfair to them. The elves of Hogwarts are sovereign now. They govern themselves, and we don't really have a look in at all. I couldn't tell you what their living quarters are like. They made it themselves, and we're not allowed there under any circumstances. I doubt we'd fit, actually. Draco whistled. I ought to write to Olimp. Maybe she can send a delegation. They're trying to work on a more equitable system at Beaubaton as well but it's been incredibly slow going. They don't really trust us to, you know, speak their minds. Harry nodded. Right, I know. They approach this stuff in a completely different way than we do. They're incredibly communal. You know Elvish doesn't even use first-person pronouns. In English, it always sounds like they're talking around things, and it was really difficult for us to understand what they were getting at for a long time. Draco looked at Harry thoughtfully. Things are so different now. That's a good thing, Harry said automatically. Hmm, isn't it? Have you been here the whole time? Since the end of the war? A sofa appeared before Harry had articulated his wish to sit down for their chat, but they both sat at once. Not exactly. Um, I sort of went a bit crackers when it all ended. About halfway through eighth year— I was actually in Janus Thickey for about a year. I didn't know that, Drago said quietly. Well, I kept it to myself as much as I could. The press was fucking awful about me. Going through my bins and all. They put it about that I was living under the Fidelius, and I let them. Anyway, a bit of pensive therapy, lots of blubbing and punching things, and shouting at people who didn't remotely deserve it. Lots of potions. I know a bit about that said Draco grimly. Yeah. Harry paused to smile at him. I reckon you do. So, I was doing a bit better when I came out, and I was at loose ends. And Hogwarts was still being rebuilt, and it just... felt like the right thing to do to help. Couldn't think of anything better to do, so I came to help. I did a bit of lifting and casting, and we just kept finding bits that we didn't know what to do with, which, you know, the place is a thousand years old so obviously it's quite mysterious. Anyway, there's this one elf I've known since I was fifteen, and he sort of pulled me aside, and told me the elves were sick of watching us blundering around, not knowing what we were doing, and trying to put our own clumsy, ineffectual fixes on things that had been originally made with elf magic. It was never going to work. And since we had sort of a special relationship, and we got each other a bit better than wizards and elves usually do, he would actually talk to me and he helped me learn how to talk to the other elves, so that we could understand each other. And it was slow going, but we got everything mended. And then, I was twenty-three, and I still didn't know what to do with myself, but the castle was mended. And Minerva told me I mustn't talk such rot about having nothing to do, because obviously I should be the defense master at Hogwarts. And, uh, clearly, we agreed. Eventually. I had to do my NEWTs first. And now... Here you are. Draco had leaned in at some point, one elbow propped along the back of the sofa. Harry could smell the starch in his collar. Here I am, Harry agreed. He tried not to think of the lion, with them in the room even as they spoke. What about you? How'd you come to be teaching history of magic? Draco sighed and rubbed his silvery blond head. Well, it was the war, you know. The beast with the long tail. Uh, Harry frowned. The what? Did you say beast? The beast with the long tail. Still in the room long after it's left, Draco repeated. From the poem. Harry let out an unbecoming snort of laughter. I don't think I know that one. I forget you're practically muggle-born, Draco said, but there wasn't the slightest edge of meanness to it. Henrietta Pearl's detritus. It was published shortly after we were born, about the same fucking war we lost our youth to. And it's exquisite. I'll find it for you. I must have a copy somewhere. Are you fond of poetry at all? Not really, Harry admitted. I'll find it for you anyway. It'll be good for you to read some poetry. Polish you up a bit. Harry rolled his eyes. Oh, I can't wait for you to start improving me. Going to choose me a cravat for the Christmas feast as well. I might do, said Draco, breezily. I'm sure your cravat collection is pitiful. Anyway, we were talking of me. Of course, go on, said Harry, when he had finished laughing. So, I came out of the war, just boiling with fury, because everyone I knew had been lying to me. The whole pure-blood supremacy thing just felt like a ghastly hoax, and I was so fucking pissed off that I'd been so horribly endangered and worse, made a fool of. Furious. That was one of the reasons I was on the outs with my mother, apart from the gay thing. I decided that I wasn't going to let that happen to me again, making a fool of myself and nearly dying to boot over an absolutely appalling lie. I mean, not the gay thing. And I thought the best way to do that is to have a better sense of our history and who we are as a people, and how we got to be who we are, and where we are, and how we are. So... History of magic. And then, the more I studied, the more I just felt sort of... sick with fear that we would keep doing this to ourselves unless someone made it good and fucking clear why it keeps happening. Because it does keep happening. Not quite as dramatically every time, but there are certainly cycles and patterns that everyone ought to be aware of so we can put a stop to them. And I decided that it may as well be me who sounded the alarm. School seemed like an excellent place to start. Reach people while they still think they have something to learn. Most of us are such fucking blockheads by the time we're grown up. So arrogant. Horrible fault, arrogance, Harry said, grinning. He found he was leaning in as well. Truly. Draco stood up from the sofa, his head ducked so that his hair hid his face, though the tips of his ears were pink where they showed through it. Other end of the room, Potter. We must have a Patronus practice, he waved imperiously, vanishing the sofa nearly before Harry got to his feet. Harry went obediently to the far end of the room, feeling wrong-footed and rather bereft. He was just within enough earshot to hear Draco's shouted incantation. Expecto nuntium. The enormous silver-white lion erupted from Draco's wand end and came bounding toward Harry, its mane bouncing, its tail waving behind it. The Patronus passed right through Harry like a ghost might, but it was velvety warm, very unlike a ghost. It twined itself around Harry like a huge cat and bumped its great bright head against his shoulder, just barely solid enough to do so. Harry laughed and reached a hand up to stroke its mane, the magic of its being whispering feather light over his fingers and sending shivers all through him from crown to toes. He'd never seen a Patronus behave this way. Even his own was never playful and affectionate with him. "'Stop flirting and give him the message!' Draco yelled from across the room. Harry felt himself blush. The Patronus sat back on its gleaming haunches and spoke in Draco's drawling voice. "'If you've procrastinated as dreadfully as I have, maybe you'd like to come into Hogsmeade with me tomorrow and do a bit of Christmas shopping.' Harry had finished his shopping and sent off his gifts the week before but he didn't see why that should stop him being good company. He cast his own Patronus and sent the stag galloping at Draco with his answer. He couldn't hear the stag's affirmative in his own voice, but he saw Draco's face light up with a smile, and as he moved down the room toward Draco, Draco came forward to meet him. Holding a Patronus that long really takes it out of you. Come back to my office, Harry suggested, and have some chocolate. All right, then, said Draco giving Harry's sleeve a bossy tug and making for the exit. Tea, if you don't mind, Potter, said Draco, tucking himself behind Harry's desk and beginning openly to rummage in the drawers. I don't think I can manage another cup of cocoa at the moment, and I know you've got an extra large bar of Honeyduke's Fudgealicious in here. I saw you nibbling. Aha! After the telltale sound of a chocolate bar snapping, Draco went uncharacteristically quiet. Harry paused in his tea preparations to listen to the silence, and presently Draco murmured something that sounded like, So that's where it's got to. Harry turned round slowly to find Draco sat at his desk, the chocolate bar forgotten, and the diaries of Abelard splayed open in front of him. Harry recognized the scrap of parchment he'd tucked into the book to mark the passage with Abelard's ode to Jonathan. Several particularly amorous phrases about the comforts of Jonathan's body seemed to flicker through Harry's memory, and he began to feel decidedly too warm. Draco was wearing an expression of delighted discovery that made Harry's mouth go dry. Draco looked up from the book, smiling. And you told me you didn't read poetry. But there must have been something stricken in Harry's expression, because the smile slid off Draco's face, and he gently shut the book and replaced it in Harry's desk drawer, even setting the chocolate bar back on top of it. Well, thanks for today, Potter, but I think I've neglected poor Scorpius long enough. I should really be getting along to feed him. I'll see you tomorrow, I expect. Tomorrow, Harry managed as Draco hastened out of the room, shutting the door behind him. Harry sank onto the sofa beside Happy and pressed his face to her fragrant, fluffy back, waiting for the panic to abate. It wasn't that he thought Draco would jeer at him, exactly. Draco was gay himself had been disowned for it. Of anyone Harry knew, surely Draco would understand. Harry didn't expect Draco to hurt him for this. Only some tottering, fledgling part of Harry had been accidentally pushed forward before he had meant it to, and it was mortifying. Happy woke up and licked his overheated cheeks, thumped her tail against the sofa, and he hugged her tight against him and waited for his breathing to slow back to normal. ETL Echo. Echoing tales of enemies to lovers.